So, we've made it to the last week of our psalm study, and we had a little review to work through, and so I just want to say great job, way to go, you've made it to the end. I'll begin this morning by letting you know that this morning in, our, in the teaching time, I'm going to be covering Psalm 19. So I'm assuming that you all in your groups are probably going to spend the majority of your time in the review. And if you haven't had time to do much of the review yet, keep, keep going back and reviewing. And you've also got some extra lessons, remember, at the end of your study that you can be enjoying. And, and I believe we're going to be getting a handout in our small groups this morning that will also be helpful for you as you're going back and reflecting on how the Lord has um, revealed himself to you and spoken to you through our study. And... So I just want to give a few quick, very quick highlights about what we've learned as we've been studying the book of Psalms. I hope that you all will leave remembering the theme of the book, the reign and instruction of the Lord, that as God's people, we are surrendering ourselves to him as king and continually placing ourselves under his instruction. And you can remember that theme is so clearly presented in Psalms 1 and 2. I think especially of that verse in Psalm 2 that says, Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. And then the laments. We've learned that we can love the laments, right? And we can love them because it's this reminder that we can be totally real with God. We don't have to hold anything back. He wants us to come before him and pour our hearts out to him. But we love the laments because we don't stay there. There's always this call to trust and this call to praise, right? In the laments. And then wisdom. We're reminded that, oh my goodness, he is the Lord who, is, who reveals his wisdom to us. And wants us to walk in his way of wisdom. And wants us to know him and trust him. And yes, the Psalms of trust. We'll always remember, right, the shepherd of Psalm 23. How could you not be drawn to trust in a God like that? And praise. We'll always remember that, that this book ends with this great crescendo of praise in that last verse that says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then I think of Psalm 51, although we didn't have a lecture last week, but that, that penitential psalm that we have a Lord who not only invites us into relationship with him by his mercy and his grace, but sustains it by this ongoing mercy that he pours out on us. When we come to him in confession, we can trust and know that he forgives that we can be washed white as snow. So many wonderful things, and I'm sure you'll have, you'll have other things that the Lord has really revealed to you. You can share them in your groups this morning. So in our last lesson this week, we're looking at the Torah Psalms. These are Psalms of instruction, God's instruction to, to the faithful. It's through these Psalms that he teaches people how to live in reliance on him. He reveals that true life is found by those who are open to his instruction. 
and willing to live in dependence on him. He is the one, he's the firm foundation for our lives. He's reliable and trustworthy. And we find in these Psalms that his instruction, Torah, applies to every area of our lives. The three most significant Torah Psalms are Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119. And we looked at Psalm 1 1 on our introductory day. You all know that psalm. I think it's a good one maybe to memorize, but blessed is the man who lives by God's word, who comes to know him through meditating on his word day and night, continually. He's like a tree planted in the Lord and in his instruction that bears fruit, that's receiving life from him. Psalm 1. We're going to look more closely at Psalm 19, and I'll give a few little um, a little glimpses of Psalm 119 as we do that. C.S. Lewis said that Psalm 19 is the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the whole world. So it was one of his favorites. We find in Psalm 19 that there's, it begins with the big picture, a macrocosmic picture, and then it narrows down to a very small picture where we see it ending up in, in the heart of an individual, in the heart of, of David, the heart of the psalmist. <clears throat> it begins with the heavens declaring God's glory. If you want to open your Bibles with me to Psalm 19, we'll read through the first six verses together. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork day after day after day, right? We can count on the rising of the sun, the setting of the sun. When my kids were younger, I always used to tell them that God would give us a new piece of art in the sky every single day, right? It's his art gallery. And not given to just some special people, but to every single person on the planet. It's kind of beyond my comprehension that you can be anywhere on the planet and you're getting to see the sun. It's you know way past my, my brain power, that's for sure. And then, I don't know if you have a chance to go on the website, as was recommended in our study, for the Hubble Telescope. See the wonders that are way out there in the sky. So glorious. I think, why? God didn't have to create all that color. (laughs) But he did for us to enjoy and to reveal himself to us. This word for skies that's used here is the same word that 
that's used in the creation story in Genesis 1, when it speaks of the expanse in the sky. Now, when you look, we look at creation, we have modern science to help us, right? But in ancient days, the people didn't have all the, they didn't have the Hubble telescope, right, to help them out, to help them understand. So they saw the sky as a hard dome that was placed over the earth in which the sun and the moon and the stars moved. They didn't understand understand the solar system as we do today. They didn't act, know the actual size of the sun or the moon or the stars, but they could look at the skies just like we do and, and could understand the grandeur of it, the expanse of it. And it revealed to them that there was a God out there who had made this vast, beautiful picture for them to get to see. When we look at the heavens, we do. We see its vastness, its beauty, and we respond with wonder. Psalm 8, and th 8, 3, and 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Did it, were any of you able to attend the Christ in the Cosmos event here at church? There's a video of it if you'd like to catch it later on, but I highly recommend it. Deb Harzma, who is an astronomer, came and, and spoke about how she sees God revealed as she studies the skies and the heavens in her work as a scientist. She wonders at God's glory as she sees his extravagance and his abundance the beauty of the colors, its vastness, how big our God is, and how small we are. She, I love that she said that as she sees God continue to create stars over long periods of time, she's, she said, I see that our God is not in a hurry. And I also remember her saying as well that we as humans are just learning just a small percentage about all that God has made. When she was talking about matter, she said, we scientists, we've studied 5% of it. <laughs> and then there's this whole other 95% um, that they, they have no idea about yet. <laughs> we see that God is not only bigger, but he's way, way smarter too. <laughs> so all people on the planet can see the glory of God revealed in the heavens, the size of it, the wonder of his wisdom, that he engineered it all. And I think I'm amazed, too, that he's still sustaining it all. How creative he is and how good he is. Like I said, because every single person on the planet gets to see his character revealed through just what he's... He's done in the sky. And that's not even touching on all the other things that he's made, right? <laughs> There's so much more. So the heavens are communicating and revealing, revealing knowledge day to day. They pour forth speech. And that word for pour forth is, means a gushing forth, flowing abundantly. So this revelation is continually flowing. The speech is never ending. 
we all have had times, right, where God meets us through his pictures in the sky. I think of being a young, young teenager on the beach in Michigan late at night, probably way too late. But laying on the beach with my friends, looking up at the stars. What a gift. God meets us, speaks to us through what we see. I think of a time when I was trying to mother some young kiddos and feeling overwhelmed and very, very sure that I was not doing a good enough job. And being up late at night and being outside and seeing a huge moon and the expanse of clouds, I can still picture it, just cl- I, don't, I don't know what kind of clouds they were, but just the expanse of clouds from one end to the other, and it was as if he was saying to me at that moment, oh honey, my grace has got all your messed up stuff covered, you know, from one end of the sky to the other. I see him in the, in the mornings now because I'm old and I wake up super early and, and so I'm watching the sun come up and the colors of the sky. And, and I think, oh yeah, Lord, it's a new day. I'm awake and you're here. Yeah. And you are ever faithful. You all have those moments that you can remember, I'm sure. <clears throat> so the glory of God is, is revealed to us, to every single person on the planet. There is no place where his speech is not heard, right? You can be at any place in the world and speak any language and still perceive that he's out there, that he's there reaching out to us. Paul in Romans 1, 20, familiar passage to many of you, I'm sure. For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in all the things that have been made. Here we also see this picture of the, the sun being placed in the sky. The sky is a tent. And we find these two similes. The son is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and like a champion rejoicing to run his course. God has set the son in place and set it on its course. And its course is complete. And it keeps on completing its course. Now, in the ancient Near Eastern world, the other cultures, the other nations, saw the sun as a deity. And so the people of Israel were making it very, very clear. No, it's not a God with a small g, but it's God's handiwork. And then we find that the sun warms the earth. There's no place where its heat can't reach, right? Um, And for, once again, the cultures of the other nations in the ancient world, their gods were distant and capricious and needy. They didn't care about humans. And people were always trying to just bring them offerings and somehow trying to appease them and and hope that they would be blessed and not be cursed. There was this continual guessing game. And so you see this contrast here of the Lord, Yahweh, 
who creates the sun, and it's a gift that brings us warmth, that brings us life. And just as we, we do, we count on the sun to, to rise and set each day. It's a picture of his faithfulness to us. Don't we all just love turning our faces up to the sun <laughs> and feeling its warmth? I always tell a friend, whenever they're going on a vacation somewhere warm, just please stop you know, on the beach, wherever you are, and lift your face up to the sun for me and just soak it in, and I'll just, you know, I'll live through you. <laughs> okay. And then let's move on to the glorious law that's revealed in verses 7 to 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So we've seen how God's glory is revealed through creation in the beginning of the psalm. And then we see that right alongside that, the psalmist places the law, the great declaration of God along with it. And it's as if he's saying, oh, but the law declares even more. God's personal qualities, his trustworthiness, his righteousness and justice and so on. And just as God continually speaks, through his creation in the heavens, he continually speaks through his, his written word, through his revealed word, the law. If you look in, in the first six verses, you find that God's name is only mentioned one time, and it's just a simple name for God, El. And yet in verses 7 to 9, the covenant name of God, the Lord, Yahweh, is used six times. He is their God. He is their, their covenant God who loves them and is faithful to them. And in these three verses, verses 7 to 9, each, each line uses a different word for God's law. You found that, right? Laws and statutes, precepts, commands, fear, decrees. Now, some people read this psalm, and they really want to divide it in half. But I'm hoping that we can see it, how it all fits, fits together. You see, in ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia, law and justice were closely related to the sun god. And the sun god, it was this, as if the rays of the sun would illumine every human activity. That's how they, they viewed their sun god with a small g. And yet for the Israelites, the Lord, Yahweh, he is the one who reveals law and justice not the sun god. And God's law is, is praised. First, it's praised for being perfect or complete. So just as the sun's course is complete and the sun brings us life, the Torah is complete and brings our soul's life. J. Clinton McCann puts it this way, life depends on Torah or instruction as much as it depends on the daily rising of the sun. And just as nothing is hidden from the sun's heat, nothing is hidden from the Lord's instruction. His instruction is to impact every single area of our lives. 
The psalmist goes on to say that the Torah is also sure or trustworthy, right, pure, clean, everlasting, true, altogether righteous. And so we find here in this section, I know you've studied it well on your own, so I'm kind of skipping over some of the details here. But we find in this section that the Lord transforms the lives of those who learn and live by his instruction. The dead receive life, the simple become wise, the sad become joyful, the blind can see. And here in this section, we cannot help but think of the great long Psalm 119, right? It's 176 verses long. And what I think is really amazing, because it would have been so, so hard to write, but we know the Lord inspired it, and we can be sure that he was greatly at work because there are 22 stanzas in Psalm 119. And each of the stanzas have eight lines. And it's an acrostic. So in the first eight lines, all of those lines begin with the Hebrew letter A. And then it progresses through. Eight lines of A, eight lines of B, all the way through. Can you imagine how difficult that would have been to write? Pretty amazing. But we find here that the Lord himself speaks through the law. So even though it seems as if the psalmist in Psalm 119 treasures and worships the law, ultimately he's worshiping the Lord of the law because it's through the law that the Lord reveals himself to him. And and. I will really encourage you, sometime in the next week, will you read, sit down and read it all the way through Psalm 119. And you can see more and more about the Lord. His love, his promises, his faithfulness, his truth, his righteousness, his life-giving power, his protection, his vindication, his guidance. And maybe you'll find a new favorite verse in Psalm 119, right? We all know Psalm 119, 105. Word is a lamp for your feet and a light for your path. Or verse 32 is one of my favorites. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. That's the NIV version. So this great Lord, who is the creator of all, who is transcendent, is the one who speaks personally to his people. He spoke to the Israelites through the Psalms, through the whole, all of the written word, but he continues to speak to us personally when we open his word. What a gift. What a gift. Every time we open up his word, he's there speaking a word just for each of us, just where we are for that moment. I love that in Psalm 119, it seems that um, this man's heart is completely saturated and his mind, too, in, in the Lord's law. He's come to know him well through it. So I encourage you, head, re, be sure to read Psalm 119. And as we jump back to Psalm 19, just want to mention, talks about the fear of the Lord. The law is the fear of the Lord. And we know that this is, is honoring seeking to honor and revere the Lord. It's placing ourselves 
under him as king, placing ourselves under his instruction. <clears throat> I just want to mention briefly Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 19. The instructions that the Lord gave his people of Israel to fear him, walk in his ways, love him, serve him, and observe his commands. And then we see as well that this word, just like the Lord, endures forever, right? It's this ongoing speech will never, ever, ever end. And then we find in verse 10 how the law is more precious than gold and sweeter than the sweetest honey. The law is David's delight. And I think this harkens back for us to understand that to live in their time, what a gift God's word to them was. In Deuteronomy 2, or 4, 32 to 34, the Lord speaking to his people of Israel, for acts now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man in the earth, and ask from one end of the heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened, or was ever heard of, did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? God had come down, revealed himself to them, spoken to them, revealed his commands so they knew who he was and what would please him, how to live in relationship with him, how to live in relationship with one another. The Lord's law is such a gift. And he graciously warns them about this is where you're going to head. This is where you're going to end up if you head down the wrong path. What a gift his warnings are. And so through his law, he guides and protects and blesses them. And I think my favorite part about it is just it reveals his heart to them and to us. Oh, sweetie, don't you? This is the way to life that's abundant. This is the way to life of joy. This is the way to life that brings blessing to the people around you. He gives it to us as a gift. So we don't have to try to figure out things on our own. We don't have to be that, like the people in the other cultures who were worship, worshiping those gods where they had no idea what in the world to do. And we're constantly wondering, how can I be blessed? Am I going to be cursed? So the Lord graciously reveals himself. He speaks and he guides continually every step of the way. And then let's move to these last verses, verses 12 to 14. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So 
So now, the Lord has been speaking, and the psalmist responds, right? David responds. He sees that he is not only small, but he is also sinful. He realizes that he falls short of God's glory, and he asks the Lord to forgive and cleanse him from his sins. He asks the Lord to give him strength to turn away from his sins. Who can understand his errors, he asks. He knows that his errors are way beyond what he, he realizes. He seeks God's cleansing. He needs forgiveness also for his hidden faults and willful sins, faults that he's blind to, and sins he's committed knowingly and proudly. We see there's a progression here from smaller to greater sins. And then David pleads, please don't let sin have power over me. He knows he can't control himself. He can't know himself, nonetheless, control himself on his own. But then he proclaims, I love this, he proclaims so strongly, then I shall be blameless. I shall be acquitted. He knows that the Lord is able to forgive and cleanse and make things right. And then this conclusion, that last verse, verse 14, so, so beautiful, this prayer of surrender. The word heart here means the inner man, the inner man, the mind, will, and the heart. And David says, please, may my words be pleasing to you. May they be an acceptable offering to you, Lord. And he calls the Lord his rock, his strength, his refuge, and his redeemer. You see, the people of Israel always identified the Lord as their redeemer. He was the one who had brought them out of Egypt with a mighty and outstretched arm, all by his grace. The Lord is his redeemer. And so this big, big picture at the beginning, the whole expanse of the sky moves down just to David's heart, to our hearts, right? Lord of the universe sees and cares and knows about what's going on in our hearts in our inner lives and I think may we have the response of David Lord you've revealed your heart to me here's my heart you've spoken to me may my words and response be pleasing to you I'm wanting to surrender my heart to honor you with all that I think and I say and all that I do. And so how is God revealed in Psalm 19? He is the God who reveals himself. Yes, siree. <laughs> he re reveals his glory to us through the expanse of the skies. He's the God of glory. He's the creator of all. And yet he is also the Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, who is the personal God of Israel, the covenant God, who is, is true and Lord over all the other small God, gods, with, you know, gods with a small g in their, their world. Those gods that are distant, that don't speak and don't hear and can't be known. He is the beautiful lawgiver who reveals himself and speaks to his people, showing them how to live in dependence on him, how to know and trust and serve him. And as we open his word today, 
and like at Psalm 19, we think, the Lord of the universe is the one that speaks to each one of our hearts. Beautiful. And so my question for you, and may you ponder it in the days to come, how will you respond? With wonder and reverence, with gratitude for all that he's made and continues to sustain, for the, the beauty that we see in his creation and, and how each day that he reveals himself to us through it. Um, will we be the ones that really trust in his heart, trust in his written word as our, as our faithful guide? The, the, his words are life to us. May we cling to it and not take it for granted. May, may we saturate our hearts and our minds in it. And as we finish up our study and we're heading out into summer, I, I challenge you, keep opening your Bibles, ladies. Let the Lord, meet the Lord and let him speak to you day by day. And so we, we end as we began with this desire to know him, to love him, to trust him, to walk in his way. Amen. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Ladies.